Have you thought about expanding your business from traditional one-on-one work into online revenue streams, but you're feeling totally uncertain about where to start or what that journey might look like? Then this is the episode for you. Today, I'm talking with pediatric dietitian Melina Malkani about how she became known as a children's nutrition expert in the online space. Melina is absolutely rocking it on social media. She published one of the most popular baby-led weaning books available today. She runs several online courses, sells a few digital goods, and also does a ton of media and brand work. One thing's for sure, her career is never boring. Melina walks us through the whole journey of how she started her business and how she grew it to where it is today. Everything from how she initially grew her audience, how she started to monetize that audience, which income stream she enjoys the most, and which one is the most profitable, and her best advice for someone interested in starting an online business today. As always, I think you'll walk away from this episode with at least one nugget of wisdom that you can apply to your own career or business. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. I came across your profile, just like sometimes I'll just go in and look at people who recently joined the Unconventional RD community on Facebook, and you happened to join recently when I did that, and I clicked on your profile, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's doing so many cool things in the online space, like I have to reach out and see if she'd be interested in being a guest on this podcast. So thank you so much for coming on to talk about your business ventures today. Oh my gosh, lucky me. I'm so I'm so humbled to be here. Um, I think I mentioned when we were emailing that I was on a mastermind recently and one of the um the participants in the mastermind was like, oh Erica Juleson, her SEO and her website information is life-changing. So oh. and the next week I heard from you. It's really nice. So I know you. that's so random, but pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, I like to start out usually these episodes just kind of getting people's origin story in dietetics, because I know there's a lot of people in this field who didn't necessarily start full on into dietetics. So how did you get into dietetics? And were you always kind of having entrepreneurship in mind? Or how did that happen? You know, I loved seeing that question when you sent over, you know, some questions in advance, because I'm a career changer. And when I talk to a lot of people in dietetics, I find that that I'm not the only one. (laughs) There's a lot of career changers of people that come to nutrition as a second career. And in my prior career, I was a performer. So my degree from Northwestern University was in um, vocal performance and opera, actually, I'm a singer. And so I spent the first year post-college performing. I was based in Chicago and then in New York. So I performed in almost every state and done off-Broadway, national tours, regional theater, light opera. And it's funny because I didn't think of myself really as an entrepreneur per se until I became a a dietitian. But when I look back, actors, singers, we're all entrepreneurs because we're constantly reinventing ourselves. We're constantly auditioning. We're constantly looking for work. And really, we what we're doing is selling ourselves and our skills as performers. And so as I look back and make that connection, thank you for, for prompting me to do that. Because yes, I think I, I think I did have an entrepreneurial streak during that that decade as well. So what brought you from opera and acting and all that into dietetics? Yeah, well, so I was performing 
constantly, I was traveling maybe seven, eight months out of the year and performing in about eight shows a week when I was uh, in a, in a contract. And I was finding pretty consistently that, you know, there was a lot of pressure within the industry to look a certain way and be a certain weight. And when I was, you know, starving myself to fit some sort of an ideal that was coming from the outside, I didn't have enough energy to get through eight shows a week. And I really was suffering. And so turned to nutrition as a way to, you know, find the energy to do what I needed to do to get through my work week and fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with it. Fell in love with the science of it. Ended up going back to school to NYU and getting my master's and then becoming an RD. I did my dietetic internship at the Bronx VA hospital and loved that program. And I really never looked back. I, I do still do some performing. I like, I call it, I come out of retirement every so often here and there. Um, and I do think there are a lot of crossovers between the two, at least in terms of making nutrition information interesting and sort of um, selling it, if you will, making it something that's palatable and exciting and new when sometimes some of the information is staying the same and then also making new information and new research really interesting and exciting for people. Such great insights. I love the connection between, there's always like a running thread between what someone was doing before and like how they got into the field. It's just so interesting. Um, it is. It is. It's really, it's a strange, and you know, it's funny. I don't know if you went to Fancy this past year, but for the past few years, the only sort of obvious connection that, that brings both of my careers together is that at Fancy for the past few years, I've sung the national anthem during opening session. And so that's like, that's the, people ask me, where are the cross sections between your two careers? That's the only really obvious one. But I do see a lot of, you know, threads, like you said, in the skills that you bring from a prior career into your new career. So just for a frame of reference for everybody listening, how long have you been in RD now at this point? Oh, gosh. Um, so it's 2022 now. It was 2010 that I passed my exam. Nice. So All right, great. So that's years. a wonderful frame <laughs> of reference because I I love talking to people about their business journeys. A lot of times I interview people who are pretty far in. So I just want to make sure that everyone knows where people are. So um, if you're like in you know, year one of being a dietitian, you're not like, oh my gosh, I'm behind or something, you know, (laughs) there's so much growth over some years. There's true. And there's so many different paths toward getting there. I love that you explore that because people come to this profession from all sorts of different backgrounds. And there's so many different skills that can inform the work um, that you can bring with you. Definitely. So what did you do? Like, what was your intention when you became a dietitian versus what you're doing now? Like, is this always what you wanted to do or what did that journey look like? Well, no, my life really informed my career path as a dietitian, my personal life. I wish I could say that it was this really nice linear path and it was smooth and it wasn't at all. It was uh, quite a rocky road. So I finished my dietetic internship and then went to work at the Bronx VA right away, um, or about six months later, once I passed my exam as a weight management and bariatric surgery dietitian. So I worked clinically at the Bronx VA hospital. And during that time I had my first baby, actually I had my first baby a week after I finished my internship. Don't recommend that at all. <laughs> I was pregnant through my, <laughs> my, the majority of my internship, which was a challenge, but then, um, 
after she was born, I worked clinically for a while. And then I had my next two babies really quickly. They were all born within about three and a half years of each other. So I took some time off, time off to care for them or time away from the workforce to work incredibly hard as a mother of three uh, babies and care for them for a while. And then when I was ready to go back to work, my youngest was about two years old and I went back to work at a digital health startup where I was creating content for them. Um, I was writing and then performing in the content. They were doing a lot of video content and it was in chronic lifestyle disease prevention. Um, and it was a part-time job. It was fantastic. And I got kind of a crash course in marketing, digital marketing, content creation, social media, virtual health education. Um, a lot of the pieces that I use now in my own brand and my own business. Um, I loved that job. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But I was in my heart, I had fallen in love with nutrition for children, babies and children and pediatrics. And I had been through a lot with my girls. They're all, I have all girls. And, you know, we, we went through the gamut. We had problems with breastfeeding and we had food allergies that were difficult to diagnose and reflux and problems breastfeeding and starting solids. And it was, we know the gamut, picky eating, all of it. <laughs> um, and I really emerged from that period feeling called to help other parents avoid what I had gone through as best I could. So I continued to consult for the startup while also then launching a private practice uh, in pediatrics and then launching my brand as a part of that as well. Nice. That seems like a perfect little dovetail. Um, I love when people have, maybe they are freelancing or something on the side while they're starting their business. That's exactly what I did too. <laughs> Lots of side jobs. Uh, it's a really good pairing uh, for kind of finding the time, but still having a little bit of a security net, I think, financially. Um, yes, I'm building the confidence and the security, like you said, and the uh, to, to be able to take that leap and then say, okay, I'm going to now really put 100% of myself into this. That's always a decision, I think, that's really personal for everybody when the right time is to do that. But um, it's a great and important part of that process too. So that original job where you were doing content creation, was that a job that you just found like on a job board and applied to, or how did you get into that? Oh, that was a real stroke of luck. It was a job that I found on LinkedIn and it was the first job that I applied for. I applied for a, a few, but it, that was the first one and they didn't respond, but I saw this job and I looked at the what they were looking for, all the different aspects of a, of a person who was going to fulfill this role. And I thought, that's me, that's me. This is, a, this is a really good fit for me. So I actually, I, I went into my email and I, I couldn't find the email for the CEO, but I, I made up what I thought it would be, which was his first name and then the rest of the company. And I emailed him and I said, you know, cause they were using one of those, um, I don't know if it was Indeed or another platform that goes through, and I think goes through the resumes and decides who they're going to see and interview. But I said, I'm not sure if you've come across my resume, but my name's Melina, blah, blah, blah. And um, I exhibited my passion for this role. And then they did end up reaching out and interview. It was a lengthy interview process, um, but a really wonderful job. I, I consulted with them until recently, actually. Continue to. Yeah. And when you started your practice, was it uh, in person or virtual? 
I did a blend of both at first. This was pre-pandemic. Um, and I would see clients in my living room <laughs> when my when my kids were at school. Um, and that wasn't really sustainable. So I started shifting my practice over to virtual and then the pandemic hit. And at that point, it was very natural to go completely virtual, which it is now entirely virtual. Nice. Yeah. I feel like that's a large part of a lot of people's stories these days, (laughs) the push to go virtual uh, during the pandemic. Uh, So when you were doing that, did you have any sort of audience yet? Or, you know, I I like to do the chicken or the egg thing. Like what came first when you're starting your business? Like did you launch a product? Did you do in-person networking, like referrals? I don't know. Like how did you start? Yeah, such a good question Uh, because there are so many different paths toward it, toward where you end up. It's true. So I actually, this was in 2017. I was ready to launch my brand. I had an idea for my brand. I saw that there was a gap in the market in terms of pediatric focused evidence-based information that was accessible to parents and that was reaching them where they were living and in the platforms where they were living. So I started posting. I just started posting on Instagram. Instagram felt like the right fit for me. It was where I felt most comfortable. I did not have a following at all. And I hadn't been on social at all (laughs) up until that point, really. Um, You know, Facebook a little bit to keep in touch with people, but really that was it. And at the same time, I applied for the Academy of nutrition and dietetics media spokesperson role, the national media spokespeople program and was accepted. And that was a really exciting time. That's that's everything coincided at that time. I applied and was accepted to the program. I launched my practice, I launched my brand and then my marriage fell apart. And um, so that was a really exciting and very difficult year. And so I was posting a little bit and if, if you're not familiar or for those listeners who are not familiar with the media spokesperson program with the Academy, it's a fantastic program. I really can't say enough good things about it. The people that I met through the program, the friends that I made, the connections that I made are lifelong, dear, amazing people working in this space. Um, and it's a, it's a three-year term. It's a three-year volunteer term. And during that term, you cannot, your prohibited from working with brands, from aligning yourself with brands. And so I decided that that three, that that term, I didn't know how long it was going to be, but I thought I'll take this time to grow my practice and my, my own brand and my footprint in the media and then see what happens from there. And so that's what I did during those three years. And I also navigated the difficulties in my personal life and, you know, sorting out, the divorce and you know that part was that that was a really tumultuous three years um, but I just kind of put my head down and put out the best highest quality content I could and really tried to establish myself as a nutrition expert in the media through all of the opportunities that came my way through the academy and to promote the academy and the work that we do there and then during that time, I also wrote a book. So it was kind of a period of time of a lot of creation and groundwork and foundational work. And it wasn't the most lucrative time in my life for sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to dive into all of the things you just mentioned, <laughs> I guess, before we go <laughs> too deep into um, 
like courses and things that you're doing now. Can we go a little bit more into your Instagram strategy? Like was, were stories even a thing yet? Or was this still the days of like, you know, static posts or how did you come up with what type of content to create that, that would resonate with people? Yeah. Wow. This is, this is way back there then. (laughs) (laughs) This is reaching far back into my brain. I, you know, back then it was static posts. Video was really not so much a thing. I was not yet comfortable. I, as a, as a media dietitian and as a performer, I was used to having a script. I was used to having lines. So this whole thing of like showing up on video and speaking off the cuff, like that was really scary for me. So I didn't, and I can't remember at that time if people were really doing that too much, it was mostly static posts, which I was comfortable with. So that's where I started creating static posts and experimenting with content that I hoped was solving a problem but I wasn't sure whether it was reaching people. And, you know, I was just sort of experimenting with that and learning from that. And I didn't have a large audience. So there was a lot of room for experimentation and just seeing what, what would resonate and what wouldn't. And then as I progressed through those few years and started, you know, really niching down and focusing, I had been doing a lot of family nutrition, but I really started focusing particularly on pediatrics, feeding babies, feeding toddlers. And that's when I wrote my book on baby led weaning. And so, so I started posting more and more about that. I had already been posting about it some, but, you know, really started leaning into that. And that is when my account really started to grow because there was such a need for that information. And it sort of was a perfect storm at that point because my book came out and then the world shut down <laughs> within months. I think my book came out in January and then everything shut down in March uh, due to COVID. And at that point, my account had grown quite a bit, but parents and new mothers in particular were so isolated and so without that village that for me as a mom had been so instrumental in the raising of my babies and in feeding them, just taking your child in a bucket seat and going and sitting with a friend at coffee and seeing her hand a piece of avocado over to her six month old and the baby's munching on it. And you think, Oh, who knew? I didn't know a baby could eat that. And then you, you know, then you're off to the races that wasn't existing for these parents. And so they were, so my account started to grow as sort of a, a community for mothers. They would share their babies with me. I would post their babies eating. We would talk about the different foods they could eat. And I started feeling more comfortable showing up and just talking with them and connecting. And, and I started to grow more from there. Nice. Such a perfect storm. I love how you're talking about growing community. I think that's totally true and a large part of why a lot of businesses grow. So that's um really good insight. Hopefully people listening can start thinking about like, okay, like what problem am I solving with my content and what type of community and conversation can I grow with my channels? You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be Instagram necessarily, but <laughs> that's the root. Totally. Yeah. Yes, I agree. It, it's really where, where your ideal client lives and where you're comfortable, where they spend their time. That's a great place to, to, to create a community. Um, Cause that's where people are going to be. And that's where you can meet them and where you can communicate with them and hear what their concerns are and then respond. So how many, how big is your following right now on Instagram? On Instagram? Well, <laughs> it's funny you should ask that. So it's a hundred and I think I'm at a, around 128,000. Um, and then I don't know if you noticed yesterday, there was wacko on Instagram. Oh, every 
followers, accounts shut down, no stories. People were losing followers left and right. And then everything's back to normal today. So that, <laughs> and it was a really good lesson in diversifying and making sure that you have a presence elsewhere, not just putting all your eggs in one basket. And uh... <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. yeah. I'm not super active on Instagram. So like I kind of saw what was happening, but it like, it's not a big part of my strategy for this brand. So I was just kind of like, whoa, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm glad it all went back tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so uh, that's a good dovetail. So I'm assuming you also like at least had like a bare bones website, maybe alongside your social platforms. Um, yeah. what, what was, what were you, what did you have on your site? You mean back in 2017 when I yeah, started? Just like, yeah, just in general, like where did having yeah. a website play? Like, was it just like a place that you sent people to sign up to be a client or, you know, I don't know. Because yeah. now I you can buy stuff on your site, but maybe it wasn't always like that. No, that's a relatively new development, maybe in the last two, three years. Um, really, it started out as a place for me to grow an email list. I understood from the very beginning the importance of that. And the importance of having a lead magnet and growing that audience in a, in a space that I own and that I have control over. So I've been doing that from the very beginning. Um, I also wanted to have a place where I could showcase the media placements that I was getting and showcase my expertise as a nutrition expert because speaking being a speaker was a goal of mine then and it has it's been it's a realized now part of my business so I knew that I needed a place where people could find me <laughs> um, so the website was meant for that it's it's always had multiple purposes which has been a struggle of mine because I always want people to be able to find what they're looking for when they come to my website and so strategically placing that information in places where they'll find it has been challenging um, because my private practice is also accessible through my website. You can find my book on my website. You can find my recipes. I have a pretty extensive catalog of recipes for babies, toddlers, and families, and then also a blog. So it's, it's been a, it's my baby. <laughs> it's been a work in progress. Um, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you because SEO has been a struggle and a headache that it's also a wonderful, you know, challenge and a, a nut that I have yet to crack completely, but I'm, I'm working on it every day. And um, so my, my hope eventually is that uh, the blog will grow even more. Nice. Yeah. So just to summarize for everybody, um, I was just looking at your website before we got on our call. And yeah, I saw you have like a section where people can work with you one-on-one. -on -one. They can buy your baby led weaning book, which by the way, I was just like poking around on Amazon and just typing stuff in. And if you just type baby led weaning, like your book is the number one thing that comes out, Aww. at least for me when I search. So I was like, wow, oh, that's thank amazing. You. <laughs> Aww, thank you so much. Over 4,000 reviews. Like that's a really big deal. So congratulations on that. Um, and I do, that's I would so love nice. to dive into that a little bit more um, in a second. Uh, and then you also have two online courses that people can buy some digital goods like meal plans and guides. I saw some maybe Amazon affiliate links for resources that you like, and you have a whole section on brand and media work. So, so many things we can talk about <laughs> I want, oh. get at least a, a little bit of detail on each, each thing, but 
I guess my question is out of all those avenues, like, what do you enjoy the most? What are you, what are you finding the most Mm -hmm. fulfilling right now? Gosh, you know, I love, um, I really love the brand and media work. I really, I love working with brands who understand and value our expertise and credentials as dietitians. And whether the, when there's alignment between our brands and between our missions that, and the creativity gets sparking, I love that. I really, that, that just lights me up. I also really enjoy the consulting. I love working with a brand and whether it's formulating new baby food products or positioning those products or figuring out trends in the market or gaps in the market that that are going to be helpful for parents and for anyone feeding babies and children that's really exciting to me as well that does sound um fun. can we like yeah, talk, I love i've it. never asked anyone about consulting so how does that work are you just like on retainer or like you meet them x number of times a year or it's just one off stuff like how does that even happen it really depends it depends on the needs of the brand it depends on you know their sort of what they're looking for. I prefer to work on retainer because then the relationship can grow and they I I can prioritize their work above, you know, other one-offs that come in and really get to know the brand and get to know the needs of the brand. And so usually I do work on retainer and it can be anywhere from a year to 3 months, to, you know, sometimes then the one-off stuff will come in and I enjoy that too because I get I get to meet new people and figure out figure out what they're you know, their companies, what the challenges are with their products. But I really love that. I, I love working as a part of a team. And as you probably know, <laughs> being an entrepreneur, so much of the work that we do is solitary and it can feel like you're in a bit of a silo. So coming in and working with a team is really fun for me and really exciting for me. Nice. Yeah, that does sound really cool. Uh, is that do you pitch yourself for those opportunities or you've just done so much media work and have so many connections that they kind of come to you or how, how does that all happen? I, I, I'm just thinking now, I, I don't think I've ever pitched myself for any of those roles. It's interesting because there's so now having a following, having a social following brand work comes to me quite often through a variety of different sources. And often the consulting work will be wrapped up in some sort of brand promotion through my channels. And and that's really exciting too, because then I really, I deeply get to know the products and the people behind them um, and can speak even more authentically to those products in when I'm promoting them. So I really, so I love that when it's sort of one is born out of the other um, and that happens pretty frequently, but then some folks find me through my social channels when they're in need of, of just pure consulting. So it really depends. Um, and it can look a million different ways. <laughs> <laughs> do you, how do you, um, cause I, I, I've never really done any of that type of work, but I feel like I hear people talk about, you know, make sure you read the contract really well and like that you're not committing to like, let someone use your name and likeness, like in perpetuity without compensation oh. or something like that. Like, uh, do you have any advice? Like, does the brand usually give you the contract or do you send a contract to the brand or like, do you work with a lawyer on that type of thing? How does that all work? All of the above. <laughs> There's a, so again, so many different ways that that can go down. Um, when I started off, I was trying to work through contracts <clears throat> on my own. And at that point I went on Upwork and hired a lawyer to help me, you know, 
work through one-off contracts, figure out what language to uh, request changes around, to put boundaries around the term and around the use of my name and likeness, if that was what I wanted to do. And to, just to even just understand what it meant in the way that they had worded it, where the pit, potential pitfalls were. And it's really complicated. So eventually I ended up meeting an incredible agent who is based in LA and she works solely with health and wellness experts with influence, which is my preferred term. I don't like the term influencer. I really don't. <laughs> I really prefer expert because I'm not on any of these channels in order to be an influencer. I'm on these channels to educate people with this information that we have as dietitians and as, as credentialed experts in the space. So she understands that. And she also understands that there is so much more value in an expert with influence, or there's a different kind of value that you don't get in an influencer who is not credentialed. And that, that understanding really informs her negotiation on my behalf with different brands when when the contracts come in and so we talk about it together we talk about you know what, what we believe is fair we're always you know she she really also advocates for the brand as well in a way like she really she comes from a, a media background and and working with brands so she understands their goals too so she's very fair and finds a happy medium where we're where everybody's happy <laughs> and so I really value that because it's very time consuming and understanding all the ins and outs of contracts is not the way I want to spend my time. Um, so she, she really helps me with that. Yeah. That's a really good tip for anyone listening. <laughs> Thanks for sharing how that went down. And I'm totally going to steal the phrase experts with influence. Cause I love that too. <laughs> um, you know what? I can't, I, I, I have to tell you, um, it, it's not my, um, <laughs> it's not, you stole it from somewhere it's else. Not, yeah. I can't coin the phrase. So, <laughs> but yeah, but feel free to steal it. <laughs> yeah, no, but I feel this, it really resonates kind of with how I frame stuff in my SEO course too. Cause we do talk about, you know, showing off your expertise, your authority, your trustworthiness, which is something that credentialed healthcare professionals uniquely have. Um, so it's so true. We are, we have an advantage that I think a lot of us don't realize we even have in the online media yeah. space that we can tap into. So thank you for all those. Tips. Yes. Yeah. Thank thank, And thank you for talk for talking about it because I think as registered dietitians in particular, and I'm not sure maybe because the majority of us are women and women, you know, we, we're not generally raised to talk about money and to talk about being compensated fairly, but, and, and maybe because, as nutrition professionals, I'm not really sure why, but so often we are not offered our value in terms of compensation when it comes to these different areas of work. And we need to recognize our value and we need to advocate for it at collectively as a profession, because then everyone gets elevated and everyone makes more money. And that's how it should be. Do you feel that doing media work helps in that arena to elevate dietitians as um, experts or what, what are your thoughts on like, what could someone do? <laughs> uh, well, it depends on the media, right? <laughs> um, definitely depends on the media, but yes, yes. Being, being quoted as a nutrition expert and, and building that foundation 
and that footprint as an expert in the media definitely adds to that trust, you know, depending on, on, on what is, on, on how you're positioned in the piece, but certainly it, it can add to the trustworthiness of the collective uh, content that you're putting out. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like I'm in a bit of a bubble because uh, for this podcast, I talk to people all the time who are doing like media work and, you know, online stuff and it starts to feel like normal. But then I have to remember that we don't learn about this in school, like at all. <laughs> so it is so a really true. new world for so many. So I'm I'm glad that we continually are like, please like use this opportunity, like get your name out there. Like people want to hear from you as an expert. They really do. And you have value to provide. I'm so glad you said that. I'm actually this year, but um, I took some dietetic interns for rotations from Bastyr University. I think it was two years ago. But this this year, through the Bronx VA, through the Bronx VA dietetic internship, I am taking seven interns for two week rotations each to to learn about pediatric nutrition, but also to learn about some of these entrepreneurial skills, which I think. I never learned too much about them in school and I really kind of bumbled along and I'm self-taught and took courses and found mentors and, and um, I really hope to impart some of this information to these interns so that when they're starting off, they're starting off from a foundation of having some knowledge and they can, you know, maybe not make some of the mistakes that I've made along the way. Yeah. It's so valuable there. I'm sure all those interns are very lucky, <laughs> probably well, really excited so. to intern with you. Uh, so, okay. We talked about out of your different revenue streams and things you're doing in your business. Uh, you're really enjoying the media brand partnership type of stuff. Um, from like a financial perspective, like which arm of your business would you say is the most successful right now? The brand partnerships and consulting kind of the, the merging of those two, um, it's kind of hard to separate them because a lot of the contracts yeah, yeah. there's, there's both wrapped up into one, but, um, that is the, the the steadiest source of income. I also have some passive sources, like you mentioned, my courses, um, which are wonderful, my, my private practice. I, I do limit the hours in my private practice because I find that the one-on-one, -on -one, I love it, absolutely love it, but it does burn me out if I do too much of it. Um, so I do limit that. And then some of the other digital, I love creating the digital products. I really love that process. Um, I really love having control over that process. There's so many things in our lives over which we have so little control. And when you're creating a digital piece of education, it's it's entirely yours and you have control over how it's branded, how it is portrayed, how it is marketed, how it is put out into the world. And I love that process. That's a good point. Yeah. And it does sell so nicely with the email list that you are somewhat in control of much more so than other platforms. So yeah, yes. that's my favorite combo too. <laughs> Something to sell and an email list <laughs> yeah. can run like a whole business. That's basically like the crux of my business. I just have like my Facebook group and I guess this podcast, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's so streamlined. I need to, I need to pick your brain. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, it's like lean into what's working. That's been a really big lesson because I recently had a baby about a year ago. So that was a oh. lesson in like, what do I, what's really working and where's, what's like the bare minimum I can do to keep this going like, at this phase of life, basically. Yeah. I can't believe having three and that's short of a time span. Oh. Hats off to you. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I love it, it but it is mayhem. <laughs> I will tell you it's mayhem. So I guess just can we dabble a little bit in talking about your online courses? Like what got you interested in that space? Um, and maybe a little on the tech side too. Like how are you running them, marketing them? Yeah. Absolutely. I, well, so I created my picky eating course during my three year volunteer term as a national media spokesperson. And that was something that I felt really passionately about. I saw a real need. It's such a pain point for parents. Picky eating is really stressful, um, especially during those toddler and early, early childhood years. So I created that course and put it out and I had it on teachable at first, which I really didn't, I didn't like teachable for me. It just wasn't a good fit for me. I tried Thinkific. Um, I had tried, I tried, tried them all. I had, I was using MailChimp at one point for my email. I was using ConvertKit and then eventually all roads led to Kajabi, which is where I house everything now. My email list, my landing pages, my courses, and even my digital products, um, I deliver through Kajabi and I really like it. Yeah. It's, it's streamlined and it works for me really well. Great. Yeah. I get, I get a lot of questions about that. Like what platform is this? And like, like everything, there's like a million and one ways you could do it. (laughs) But I know there are a lot of Kajabi fans out there. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's so hard because there it's really hard to compare them all when you don't exactly know what your issues will be with each one before you start using it. And then you get all embedded in one and then it's really hard to switch. So yeah, I, I mean, Kajabi, if you have, I think if people have goals for membership communities, sort of a lot of different aspects of a digital business, Kajabi has a solution for a lot of them. And so you could house everything in one place, which was very attractive to me. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> otherwise you can end up piecing a lot of pieces together, which yeah can work because a lot of times they integrate together, but it is, there's something to be said for the user experience too. You know, if someone's logging into 50 million places to access each of your things, <laughs> you know, versus all in one spot. Yeah. So um, totally. how did you know, like when you thought about creating this course, how did you know there was a market for it? Well, interestingly, so with the picky eating course, I had a sense from my Instagram because I had received so much feedback on my posts that were, uh, that were providing solutions around picky eating and around feeding toddlers and preschoolers. But when it came to, so I have another course, um, it's at babyledfeedingcourse.com. And this is a uh, a baby led weaning, but really a starting solids course from a responsive feeding and baby led perspective that's based on my book. And when my book came out, it was, it was received. So it was a really beautiful reception and people were reaching out more and more through my social channels with questions saying things like, you know, we love the book. It's helped so much. And now we have questions about X, Y, Z. Because it's a short, it's a quick read. You can read it in one night. It's really a guide to getting started. It's not, there's so much noise out there around infant feeding. And sometimes it can just be such a slog (laughs) to get through it. And so I wanted the book to be something that kept things really simple and just made it fun and enjoyable and something that you could read quickly and then get started. And so that's what it was. And that was wonderful. But then people were you know, reaching out with DMs and specific questions and, and concerns, and then wanting recipes and meal plans. And, 
So I thought, wow, this, okay, the universe is telling me that there is a real need for this. So I'm going to create this. And actually there was one DM in particular. I've, I've told this story a few times. She was so sweet. She reached out and she said, I loved your book so much. And I, and she sent me some pictures and videos of her baby. And she said, but I really, what I really wish is that you could just come sit in my kitchen and hold my hand every time I feed my baby. And I thought, I really wish that too. I really, I, you know, that the course ended up being sort of my answer to that. And the, the closest I could get to joining in your kitchen and sitting down having a cup of coffee and feeding your baby together. So the book came out, I know you said like right before the pandemic, <laughs> and then when did the course come out? Like what was the timeline there? Yeah. So the book came out, let me think. So the course came out a year ago, exactly. And so that was in 2021, the book came out in 2020. So it was about a year. Okay. Yeah. So you like saw the reception from the book and what questions people were asking, how long did it take you to put all the course stuff together? That was, well, during that period, I was homeschooling three girls because of the pandemic. It was a, it was a funky time. I think had there not been so many challenges in the world at the time, it wouldn't have taken me so long, but it was a good six months. Yeah. It was a good six months of work on the course. That's pretty good. I mean, course creating a course is a lot of work. And did you, was it all, you know, self-taught or did you have any instruction with that or? Yes, I took, well, this is interesting. So I took Amy Porterfield's course on, oh, I forget the name of it now. The big one. Academy. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I loved it. And I took, I really learned so much from that and, and modeled a lot of the course creation after that you know, uh, what from using what I learned from that, but with her model, doing the live launches periodically doesn't work when you think about starting solids, because when the baby's ready to start solids, the baby's ready to start solids like that week. <laughs> so people can't necessarily wait three months until my next live launch in order to start my course. So, and I didn't, you know, brilliantly, I didn't, think of that when I signed up for Amy's course. So I, oh, I came such up again. Good insight. I bet that applies yeah. to a lot of health practitioners listening. So yeah, that, that's really good insight. So yeah. what did you do to solve that problem? Uh, I don't know that I've necessarily solved it. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that I had the course is evergreen. I, I, in all of my posts, whether it's TikTok, YouTube shorts, Instagram, my blog posts, I offer that as a you know, call to action or as, you know, if you need more information on XYZ, here's a course that can provide the information that you need. And so I, and I do send it out in newsletters. And so it's, it's an evergreen, you know, possibility for people. Um, and then of course, during holidays and different things, I run specials on it. And, but you know, it's these live launches where you hear about all this money being made, like that wasn't my experience um, because, because of the information that's, that's, it's very time sensitive and specific to the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I love how it dovetails so well with your, with your book and then the course. <laughs> so I guess maybe this would be, I mean, do you have anything else to add on courses? Cause I would also love to talk about the book process too. Sure. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think, um, I think courses are wonderful because there's so many different learning styles. 
There are people that learn really well in little snippets on social media. There are people that learn really well through a blog post or through a book. They want to hold it and read it. And then there are people that prefer to learn via video and via course. And I think one of the one of the things that sets my course apart is that every every lesson is is in um, you can take each lesson in its entirety and learn something from it. You can only pull from the lessons that you want. You don't have to do the whole thing in order, in order to really benefit from it. And that's been really helpful for people, especially if they're coming to it, having started their baby on solids and realizing, oh, you know what? There's I'm I'm having an issue with this, and I so I can find a lesson for that in the course. And so it's it's been really helpful that way. But I do think it's important to address those different learning styles. If there's something specific that you teach, recognizing that people are going to learn in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the value of, you know, expanding your platforms and your audience and your reach because yeah, you're right. The people who hang out and are watching reels on Instagram or TikTok or something like are probably not necessarily the same people who are, you know, Googling things incessantly and like going into Reddit rabbit holes. Like, you know what I mean? It's like one person more of a reader, maybe one person more of a video person. And you can, if you are able to handle eventually creating content in multiple ways, ideally, I'm assuming like you probably repurpose the content, I would guess, you know, so you're not like doing like fully different things on each platform. But yeah. And then in then with your offerings too, you know, have different avenues yeah. for people. Yeah. Uh, so with the book, uh, I really don't know how that works. Like, did you self-publish it or did you have an through a publishing company or how did that all work? Yeah, no, I, um, so the publisher approached me and actually pitched me the idea. I was posting a lot about infant feeding. And so they came to me with the idea and, um, and I loved it. And so it was a really hectic process though, because once we reached an agreement, I had only six weeks to write the book. So it's really quick. Um, and I, I didn't, I don't want to, I didn't, I wouldn't want to do that again. <laughs> that was really <laughs> stressful. <laughs> yeah, that is short, quick. very yeah. short. Yeah. But I, I mean, what would you say the benefits are of having a book if for people who are thinking about maybe adding that to their repertoire? Yeah. Well, in, I think in the same way that having a digital footprint in the media and being recognized as a nutrition expert publicly in the same way that that informs and elevates you and your brand, a book potentially does that even more. Um, and especially if it's a book that's well-received and really filling a, a gap in the market and solving a problem for people um, and touching them in some sort of way that, you know, leaves them feeling something. So yeah, I do think it's a really, if, if and you know, someone described a book to me, the writing of a book recently to me, really beautifully. She said, um, "You know, if you you have to really want to write a book because it's hard. It's really, really hard to do. To sit down every day and you know organize it and let it flow out of you. And if you know, if you if you can do anything else, do something else because you really have to want to pull it out of you in order to make that happen. But if you do, then write it. Yeah. Yeah. I've always heard like, you know, writing a book is most likely like not going to make you rich, but it's no. it can be like a very, <laughs> a very good, like passion project and authority builder. In fact, funny story. I don't know if you um, have stumbled across this, but 
recently I saw that Google has added like this little new interesting kind of table at the top, top of the search results. Um, when you search certain phrases like top blah, 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 or blah, 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 authors or whatever. So I just typed in dietitian authors to see what would come up and you were in the table. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, and they pulled That's the amazing. info from Google books, I believe was them um, where they're like looking really? through. So being published, I'm assuming is part of one of the big reasons why you're in that table. Um, and then they also pull like some snippets from your website. So if you mention that you're an author on your website, like it, it pulls little snippets um, about you huh. from across the internet. So thank I you just, for telling me that. Yeah. I and there's only that. like eight people in the table. So go you. Well, you're so wonderful. <laughs> that makes you feel so good. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. So I can imagine that's a perk too, because I mean, I don't know who might be searching for that, but maybe somebody is trying to get in touch with dietitian authors for some reason out there, maybe even for media stuff. Maybe they type in dietitian authors and like probably the people who come up at the top are the people who are going to get reached out to first. So yeah. yeah. Well, good. I think also one of the benefits of having a book is that, you know, once you write the book, then you you can be considered if it's a good book and if it's if it's resonating with the audience, you can be considered an expert in that space. And then if there are speaking events, you're a really great candidate to be able to speak with authority in front of a group on that topic. And that's that's been my experience with this book. Interestingly, I have a, a, another book in the pipeline now, and, this, and it's been a very, very different experience. For the second book, I went through an agent and worked really hard on a proposal for an idea that I had, and then she shopped it to the publishers. That's a much more traditional model as I understand it. And so that's another route um, that you can go, particularly if you have a footprint and if you've, if you've spoken or written widely on a specific topic, then that's an avenue also that people can take. Yeah. You have a little bit more leverage <laughs> to like get a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you, can you share what that topic of the book is going to be or not I yet? can't. I can't. <laughs> but I'm really excited. This one, I'm like, well, I, I mean, I was really excited about the other one, but this one is like, it's one of those that's, it's going to pour out. It's going to pour yeah. right out. So, well, I'm excited <laughs> to see what it is <laughs> in the future. Thank you. What's the timeline for this one? Not six weeks. It's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. No, I have a year. I oh, have great. a year. Yeah. Oh, that's much better. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this dovetails very well into the last kind of question I wanted to ask you, just like, how the heck are you doing all like managing all of these things on top of being a mom? Like, maybe can you share even just like what a typical week looks like for you? So people can wrap their heads around what this type of career is like. Oh, Erica, I wish I had a, <laughs> I wish I had a typical week. <laughs> well, that's a good answer oh, too, my... because, <sighs> you know, sometimes people are like, oh, this is what I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And like some careers are not like that. And that's exciting for some people too. Like they don't want monotony and they want variety. So, you know, just like any example, <laughs> like what are some things you might do in a week? It doesn't have to be like every week, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's particular, it's, it's even more wacko because my girls are, I share custody with their, with my ex-husband. So they're on a two, two, three schedule, which means they're with me Monday, Tuesday, and then him Wednesday, Thursday, and then me Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it flips. So the next week I'll have them Wednesday, Thursday. And I'm like, you know, they know this, they know where they're supposed to be better than we do. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty wacko, but the beauty of this kind of work is that it gives me the flexibility 
for the most part, to be there for them when they need me. Um, so that's really nice. The problem is I could work 24 seven and it still would never be enough. <laughs> and so I really, I struggle so much to put boundaries around my work day and to end work. I really, really struggle with that. It, you know, a typical week, I guess I spend a good portion of every day working on content creation for social media captions. I'll shoot maybe twice a week, depending on what I have going on. Editing, I do my own editing and that takes a really long time because I'm super, you know, type A about my editing. <laughs> and, um, best days. And I, I find, what I find works best is when I can have one to two days of uninterrupted content creation time where I'm not doing anything else. And that really only happens on a weekend when I don't have my kids. So if I don't have my kids, I'm working like 24 seven through that whole weekend on content. So I, it's, <laughs> it's, there's really no regular weekend. I do a lot of writing, but usually my writing ends up happening on weekends too, because the girls need me for various things when they're here and they're in and out and I work from home and it's wacko. Yeah. But that's kind of awesome. Like that's very similar to my life right now as well. <laughs> like my mom <laughs> is with my son in the living room right now <laughs> while I'm recording this. And um, yeah, so flexibility is very valuable, I think, for a lot of people. So got to get it in where you can fit it in, depending on where you are in your life, you know, right now. But being able for to sure. choose to prioritize your family is something yeah. that so many people don't have. So I think that's super, oh. super valuable. You're so right. You're so right, especially this day and age and with the challenges people are facing in terms of time off for, you know, leave, maternity leave and daycare. Oh, it's, it's, it, you're right. That's, it's, it, it's a blessing in so many ways. Do you outsource at all or do you have a team of people or is it mostly just you? It's mostly me, but I did learn the hard way early on that I can't do it all. <laughs> um, and I I have a few, I use some platforms, which are great. I use Bench for my virtual accounting, which is really affordable and, you know, really helps when you have multiple income streams that can get really complicated. And so Bench has been super helpful for me with that. I have an amazing marketing assistant and I originally started off mentoring her and then I ended up hiring her to help with some of the smaller tasks, social media, bloggings, SEO, website maintenance, that kind of thing. I actually, a couple, a few years ago, I had a dietetic intern who approached me about some volunteer hours. And then, so she, she fulfilled those hours and, but she was, she became so amazing and so integral to my work that I hired her and she worked for me for a couple of years or maybe just under two years. And then she went off to do, you know, to do her dietetic internship and I miss her terribly. Um, so if you have any listeners who are looking for, who, who have pediatric nutrition expertise, but also entrepreneurial skills and social media prowess and want to reach out via email, please send them my way. <laughs> um, I The other thing that I think is incredibly helpful and has been a lifeline for me as a solo entrepreneur are mastermind groups. Um, I have a few and I meet with them periodically, sometimes every other week, sometimes every week, depending on, you know, what, what the, what, how, how we're organizing it. And those have been priceless in terms of figuring out how to negotiate contracts and work with brands and navigate difficult situations on social media and connect, connecting each other with potential, you know, jobs or, or networking, fee setting, 
it's, it's, it's really important. And how do you find those groups? That's like the biggest question I think people have. It's like, Cause it's hard. You have to find the right people. Cause if you're like too far ahead of everyone else, then you feel like you're just like giving advice and not getting anything. And then vice versa. If like everyone's at a different spot than you are, then, you know, you got to find the balance. I feel like there's gotta be a nice little, uh, thin spread maybe of like where people are. <laughs> so hard. You're so right. And it changes over time. Um, so I think there's a couple things, one, knowing, knowing when the life of a mastermind has perhaps, you know, run out for you and being able with grace to step, step aside and make room for someone else. For me, I am in one mastermind with two of my closest friends who are also solo entrepreneur dietitians. We live in completely different areas of the country and we work really hard to balance our time spent catching up socially with also setting goals and holding each other accountable to our goals and supporting each other. And that there's a lot of trust between us and a lot of um, we've worked hard to maintain that balance. But then I have another mastermind that I pay for that's run by a mentor who is a few years out ahead of me and has done, you know, incredible things in the world of pediatrics and it's uh, Jill Castle um, and that is, yeah, uh, I really like Jill. <laughs> is, she's amazing. She's amazing. Um, and that, that's a, so that's a different experience because that's, you know, she's, she's very much imparting her wisdom. And so, um, it's different. It, they can, they can fill different needs at different times, I think in your career and yeah. in your, in your path. Well, thank you for sharing. So I think the takeaway that I got from that is like, well, you could like make your own mastermind, <laughs> you know, with your peers that you've connected with, or you can join a paid one. Uh, and maybe they serve different purposes, but they can both be valuable. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I know I don't want to take too much of your time to wrap this up. Is there maybe like, you know, three pieces of advice? I know that's a really loaded question. <laughs> if you had to like share with people listening, if they're interested in growing an unconventional kind of online audience and business, like what are your three biggest pieces of advice for those people? I think the first would be to set boundaries around your time and be really mindful of work-life balance. And I say this because this is not my area of expertise <laughs> and I have a real need for it in my life. And I hope that others who are in a similar position um, can find it. So that's one. I also think it's really important if, if having a, an online business with a following is something that is a goal, I think it's important to remember that having an online audience, what that means for those who are close to you um, and the, the personally, the people in your life, because not everybody wants to be on social media and not everybody wants to be a part of, you know, to be, to be publicly a part of that platform. And, you know, my, in my own, in my own family, my brother, my father, like they're, every time I take out my phone, they're like, get that away. They want no part of it. And I get that. And I, and I think it's important for people to understand that that might be something that you come up against. Something that I, that I'm really proud of and glad that I did early on was to not use my children's names on social and to really check in with them as they have grown and make sure they're comfortable each time. And if they are included in a post or in a story, because I've always wanted to give them the chance to create and have control over their own digital footprint. Of course, with guidance, you know, from myself and their dad, but separate from us, 
And that's something I think um, can get lost these days because social media is so pervasive in our, in our culture and in our community, in our communities. Um, So it's just something to be cognizant of. It's not, there's no one right answer and there's no one right, right way to approach it for every family, but to bring some mindfulness to that's really important. Yeah. And then the last thing I think, you know, if growing an online business, if the business and the, the pain point is solving for your ideal client is like the lifeblood that pulses through your veins and makes your heart beat and gets you up in the morning, like do it. But if it's something that feels like fun and, you know, maybe something that will enable you to work less and stress less, I have not found that to be the case. (laughs) It's hard. It's really a lot of work. It's a different kind of work. It's exhilarating. It's amazing. It's fun. It's all of those things, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So just yeah. know that going into it. Thank you for sharing that. Definitely. There's like, I have not found that there's like a free lunch ride anywhere in, in business. So there's always some work no. in some way different, but I love your point. Like, you know, there's, it's always going to be work. So it can help if you enjoy the work and you yeah. and you find fulfillment from it because then you can stick with it and and i think i talk about this somewhat often like coming back to the why that you're doing it it yeah. can also help motivate you keep you going oh yeah for sure yeah and at least in my space with blogging i mean i know other channels are different but it's it's a long game usually with blogging so <laughs> also the patience and the consistency um yeah it's a lot because usually people, it takes people like at least a year of solid content creation to start getting like tens of thousands of people to their site from Google and um, having that patience and not giving up like six months in is, is tough. <laughs> so yeah. You, That's you so gotta... helpful to hear. And I think in, in a lot of ways, I mean, of course there's exceptions, but social media is not all that different, That you know, it takes time, it takes time and trust and attention and showing up and being authentic and all those things. Yeah. Well, uh, I know you had a very generous offer for people listening. If we want to talk about that real quick, you have offered 10% off of your courses or your meal plan with the code Erica, E-R-I-C-A for anyone interested. Uh, so where can people go if they want to check that out? Yeah, absolutely. So for my baby led feeding course, if you go to babyledfeedingcourse.com. You can find it there. I also have, um, there's a 12 week baby led feeding meal plan, which is a complete roadmap to the first three months of infant feeding. It has a complete plan for a top allergen introduction and lots of recipes that's sold as a part of the course, but also separately for people, if you just want the meal plan and that's at startbabyleadfeeding.com. And then you can find my picky eating course at solvepickyeating.com. And I love connecting with other RDs, with other folks in this space. So feel free to find me at uh, my website, melinamalkani.com or any of my platforms, Instagram, healthy mom, healthy kids with periods in between. And that's my handle also on TikTok and at YouTube shorts. Nice. Great. Well, thank you again for your time today. Uh, It was very exciting and fun to talk with you and hear about all the fun things that you're doing. So many unique avenues. Um, It's not often that I get to talk with people who have done so many different things in the like unconventional space. So thank you um, for giving us a little peek behind the curtain. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to chat with you and to hear some of your tips. You're 
you are a plethora. You have a, a plethora of tips to share. So I'm just, I'm, I'm a sponge for them. Well, thank you. So thank Let's you keep in touch. Me. I'm glad we got to meet. Thank you so much.